Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Great worship this morning, guys. You did a brilliant job. I love it when Astro is playing the guitar. Makes you want to play air guitar. <laughs> get on my knees. I really do uh, get into it. So if you see me doing this, I'm just doing this. Um, so yeah, we're in the second week of our uh, series, I Am. Um, it's a great series. It's really exciting. These are statements made by Jesus that we find in the Gospel of John. Okay, and there are seven statements, and as Martha, this is week two. Um, finding out what kind of person, or you know, who, who Jesus is. Okay, we all want to know. Throughout history, people have wanted to know who Jesus is and who Jesus was. You know, what kind of man was he? Was he even a man? Was he a man, or was he God, or was he a prophet, or the Messiah? We want to know that. We want to know it now as disciples of Jesus. We want to know who he is, because we want to become more like him. Maybe you wouldn't count yourself um, within that group. Maybe you think, oh, well, I'm not really a disciple of Jesus. I'm just kind of coming to church. Somebody's invited me. I'm just looking into it. But I am interested in who Jesus was. I think we all are. We kind of want to know who he is. He's quite a compelling figure once you start to look at him. And I think this series will really help us understand certain aspects of his nature and his character yeah, that will help us improve us, yeah. that will help us become better than we currently are. So that's my, my prayer, finding out who he is. Now if you ask me who I am, I would say to you, I guess I'm a, I'm a dad, I'm an expectant dad, you all just met my wife Rue, who is also expecting. Um, <laughs> also, also, also. I'm a husband, I'm a musician, I'm a lecturer, there's all sorts of things that I can tell you about me. And if I asked you who you were, you might use a similar kind of language, or you might say uh, something to do with your job or your nationality. Uh, some people even uh, talk about their star signs, you know, when they were born, as, as, as kind of to do with their identity. Uh, kind of identity is important. Now, Jesus' identity is even more important, and the good news is, he wants us to find out who he is. He wants us to find out, which is why he made these statements, amongst other uh, statements as well. He gives us a clue. Every one of these statements helps us understand a certain aspect of who Jesus is. So last week, Mark took us brilliantly through um, Jesus being the bread of life. And in fact, all of these statements come out of real life conversations in the Bible. They're having a conversation about an aspect. So last week they were talking about bread and talking about the manna that came down in the wilderness that sustained them in that 40 years. And then Jesus says to them, well, no, I am the bread of life. If you want to be sustained, you come to me. And I will sustain you, and I will sustain you kind of more than you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, so he takes it to another level. He uses the whole conversation as a metaphor to explain who he is. And today is no exception. Uh, so this week we're looking at uh, John chapter 8, verse 12. It's the next statement, and it says, uh, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. <laughs> Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. <laughs> so on one hand we have darkness, and on the other hand we have uh, light. And I said to the first service that when I was looking at this, I was sitting next to Vlad at work, and he said, I've got a great idea. You should do the whole of this message in pitch darkness. You should do it in darkness, with all the lights off. 
And I, he was saying it was because he wanted the atmosphere to be kind of magical. I think he wanted to have a sleep, to be honest. <laughs> um, but he's not here, so uh, there we go. So light is generally perceived as a good thing. And throughout history, books have been written and movies made that uses light as a metaphor for goodness and darkness as a metaphor for bad things. We know that the dark represents uh, confusion and lack of understanding and evil even. Uh, we say things like, I was in a dark place. Um, or uh, kind of having a dark night of the soul when kind of things are going bad. You know, we're, in a, we're in a difficult uh, situation. We're going through a difficult period in our life. Um, or we use uh, statements like, uh, like the dark ages, referring to a period in history where there wasn't much... Uh, developments, uh, kind of economically or social or technologically. Um, so dark generally equates to bad. And then light generally equates to good. If we have a good idea about something, we say, a light came on. Yeah. Or I, I had that light bulb moment. Yeah. Or I suddenly got clarity. I suddenly got understanding on something that I wasn't previously understanding. Um, <laughs> or we say things like, um, there's a light at the end of the tunnel light at the end of the tunnel when we've been going through a difficult time but we can see see the end in sight and it's that light that we're all kind of looking forward to so as a child who can remember being afraid of the dark yeah I think pretty much most of us to some degree were afraid of darkness and you know, can we just have the light up or the door open because we know that the monster under our bed is afraid of the light <laughs> yeah. we, we do we know that and and so i had a uh, kind of a lamp in my bedroom we didn't have a night light i think it probably before night lights existed uh, but i had a light and my parents though they wouldn't let me put it on at bedtime they said, no 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 you've got to go to sleep it's bedtime so you're not having your light on you're not reading now of course I disobeyed them, and I put the light on, and I read. Um, but I tried to do it without them, without them knowing. So, uh, because my light was quite bright, it wasn't one of these newfangled light bulbs that you could dim down to five watts. It was a forty or sixty watt bulb, and it was really hot as well. Um, and to cover it up, I put my pajamas over it so that I could read uh, without anybody seeing the light outside the room. And it worked fine until my parents came up into the room wondering what the burning smell was. And my pyjamas had melted across the entire lamp. And so I had a big hole in my pyjamas um, from then onwards. So, didn't get away with that uh, too well. But I do love this idea of Jesus being the light. And in John 1 it says there was no darkness in him. No darkness in him. He's the light of the world. There's no darkness in him. And I know for many of us, when we started our relationship with Jesus, we would say, actually, a light came on. We had a light bulb moment. We had a new idea. It kind of gave us a fresh understanding of our life, as well as understanding about who he was. Um, so when Jesus is saying he's the light of the world, he's saying, if you want a life that exists in the light, and a life where you're not kind of struggling or stumbling around in the dark, then you've got to follow me. You've got to follow, you've got to choose to put me first and let me be the light yeah, in your life. And that light will come on and we can have that light bulb moment too. But I just want to look at the context of this particular revelation. Why does he say, at this point, I am the light of the world? Because... And we want to know, we want to understand, you know, what the situation, what the context was for this statement. And um, most of 
us know the, or have heard the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. Well, this statement is right on the back of Jesus' interaction with this woman and with the kind of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And so what we're going to do today, we're just going to look at this passage, we're going to unpack it a little bit and hopefully um, learn a few things on the way. So, uh, just dialing back a few verses then, uh, it says this, At dawn, that's, uh, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, I've read this before, and I've often wondered what this actually looked like. So they're in the temple court. It's quite a large kind of expanse of an area. And Jesus is sat down. There's crowds of people gathered around him. They love coming to hear Jesus teach. We don't know what he was teaching them at this point. But we know that when Jesus taught them, they had their own light bulb moments. He would often challenge their preconceptions. He would challenge what they had learned. And he would you know, say, oh, you have heard it said this, kind of in relation to interpreting the law, interpreting the Bible. He would say, you've heard it interpreted this way, but I tell you something different. I tell you this. Therefore, you need to go and do this. So, you've heard it this way, I tell you this way, therefore, do this. Change. And the light would come on. And they would suddenly get an understanding. They loved hearing deep because they, they said things like, he teaches like one who has authority. He teaches like one who has authority, not like the other teachers of the law. And, and so they would lap it up, they would hear him teaching a light would come on and they would go, oh, that's what that means. That's what that scripture means. And I know we all have those moments in church or when we're reading the Bible. We say, ah, suddenly a light comes on and we say, that, I've never really got that before. Suddenly we get, we get revelation. And the crowds are often stunned. They lap it up. They love, him. they love hearing Jesus teach. And the teachers and the um, Pharisees didn't much like the way that Jesus taught because he often... Uh, shone a light on them and saw how hypocritical they were in their teaching. And so they tried to trap Jesus all the way through the Gospels. We see how they're trying to get him to, uh, to be caught in a trap so they can condemn him in some way. It didn't ever work, but that's what they're doing right now. Um, it says that, in the, uh, so they say, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So I want you to just imagine, we've got Jesus there, he sat in the, in the temple courts, teaching the crowd, and all of a sudden there's a bit of a commotion at the back. There's a commotion, and, and this uh, group of men, let's say, kind of enrobed in their finest robes, kind of start marching through the crowd towards them, you know, clear a path, make way, I'm coming through, I've got something, something important to say, and they're with them, they're dragging this poor woman, they've got a hold, holding her tightly by the arms, and this woman is there in the middle of this crowd of men, and she's distraught, her head is hung in shame, and she's crying, and she, she knows what's coming, she knows she's just about to be humiliated, in front of Jesus and in front of the crowds. This is the darkest moment of her life. The 
darkest moment. And she's just about to come into contact with the might of the world. And so they, they come up to Jesus and they go, right then, Jesus, here's one for you. In the law, it says this, what do you say? And every time that they've tried something like this, every time they've tried to trap him with scripture, Jesus has just been brilliant. And he manages actually to turn it back onto them every single time. In fact, at one point, he says to them, um, you are, yeah, you're asking this with a question, but you're in error. Because you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. Which is quite an interesting thing to say to these people who have not just studied the scriptures, they have memorized most of it. They know it. They know it off by heart. And to tell them that they don't know it is such a diss. It's brilliant. Um, and the reason they don't know it is because they know the words, but they don't have a relationship with the one who brings the words to life. And I guess just as an, as an aside right here, I want to say to you, we, it's good to read the word. And we know we're giving away these gospels. We want people to read Read the word of God. It, it will be life-changing. But it will only be life-changing in the context of a relationship with the word, with Jesus, who is called the word. And so when we read the Bible, when we read the words in the context of a relationship with the word, that's when the light comes on. That's when we have revelation, when the veil is taken away and we suddenly have understanding. So they're trying to trap Jesus. They've tried before and they haven't succeeded. Um, and they're all kind of puffed up and righteous. This is the woman. She's been caught in the act of adultery. Uh, the Bible is quite clear. Um, she's caught red-handed. She must be stoned. Um, no question of her guilt or innocence. She was caught in the act. Um, so what's wrong with this picture? Okay, and what does, you know, what's Jesus kind of going to uh, do with this? Well, first of all... Um, we know that she'd been caught in the act of adultery. And adultery is one of those sins that you can't commit alone. Okay? We know that. Right? It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that you can't do by yourself. There's always two... It takes two... It takes two people. So they're coming, they're bringing this woman, and they're being hypocritical. They've only got the woman there. There's, the man isn't there. And actually the law is quite clear. They say the law uh, sells us to stone such women. Actually, what it says is you bring the man and the woman to a trial and then if it's proved that they did, then you, they're both condemned. Okay, so there's some truth there, but it's not the whole truth. They're being a little bit hypocritical and uh, just trying to trap Jesus. So so the trap, you know, what's the trap? Well, they, you know, they've been plotting this for the last few hours. They think they've got Jesus because they think he's either got to agree with us or he's got to disagree with us. If Jesus agrees with what we're saying, then um, essentially, we, obviously we know that he's misinterpreting the law, but he's also breaking the Roman law that tells people they can't execute people. And he's also losing his position as a, as a bringer of, of mercy and grace that he's established. So they think he, so he can't agree with us. And then if he disagrees, he's thinking, okay, well, if he disagrees with them, then they can say, well, these are the laws that God gave us, and you're disobeying. You call yourself holy, you call yourself righteous, and then you're going to go against what the law says. And so they think they've got it nailed. 
they think he's done for. They think he's, he's, on, a, he's on a downer here. And they, they've, really, they've been waiting for this moment. They think they've got him trapped. Well, let's look at what Jesus does. Um, first of all, he doesn't agree with them. And he doesn't disagree with them. He says he, he bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her, or be the first to cast, cast the first stone. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So we don't know what Jesus wrote, but we know it's pretty amazing. You know, think about what he said and what he was writing on the ground. Whatever he wrote, it caused four things to happen. First of all, it caused the, uh, the group of men to turn around and uh, decide not to stone this woman. Again, going against their interpretation of the law. So that's the first thing. The second thing he did was they decided to not even enter into a discussion with Jesus about it. They didn't try and argue with him. So he must have written something that just cut it dead. The third thing, they turned around and walked out of the temple, threw back through the crowds, back the way they had came, and out again. They went away, losing face, essentially diminishing their authority with all the people who were there. They decided to do that. And the fourth thing was, they left the woman there with Jesus. So what Jesus had done, in effect, was shine his light directly onto them. They came expecting him to do one thing, but instead he shone his light on them. So what did he write? Well, I don't know. No idea. Um, but there are a few options. And there are a few commentaries that will tell you different things. One uh, commentary says, uh, you know, maybe he wrote the actual words of the law, this particular law, including the fact that he should have been a man and, uh, and a woman. And, you know, I'm not sure if that would be enough for them to just walk away without any... Kind of without any word. Another one says, well, maybe he wrote down a list of other uh, potential sins that are punishable. Um, and I think that could be right as well. The third one, which I think is most compelling, and actually I think most of the commentaries kind of agree with this. Obviously it's just a, it's a guess, it's a summation, but, uh, a summizing, but um, the third idea is that maybe he wrote down uh, in the dust the names of the accusers who were there. And then next to them, he wrote the names of the people that they had committed adultery with. And I'm thinking, yeah, that would do it. <laughs> Obviously, it's a guess, but yeah, you see your name in there, and oh, I'm just going to them off now. Uh, because there's hypocrisy there. And in fact, the word that he says he used, it says he wrote on the ground, the word write. That's used the Greek word actually implies a written accusation. So a written accusation. And it's also, there's, uh, I was saying to uh, Michael Jones actually between the services, there's a scripture in Jeremiah 17 verse 13 that says something, I will, I will uh, write, those who uh, don't follow me, I will write your names in the dust. I think, oh great, yeah, I like that. This kind of ties together with something uh, that happened in the Old Testament. So, Let's say he wrote that and they go, well, okay, yeah, fair dues, we're off. Um, in fact, they don't say anything, they just, yeah, they just go. The truth of the matter is, it's not important what he wrote, really. If it was important, we'd know, it would tell us. Um, what's important is that uh, what Jesus is saying is, everybody's guilty. 
he who is without sin can throw the first stone. Everybody's guilty. We're all the same. Okay, there's nobody here who can condemn this woman because we're all guilty. And that's the truth of this particular um, statement. And the fact that they caught this woman in the act, that's the word used, she was caught in the act of adultery. And uh, she was guilty. And she was deserving of punishment. But the punishment for sin is not because you're caught in the act. The punishment for sin is because you sin. Not because you're caught. And so, whatever they might think, this group of accusers, you know, they think, oh, it's the, it's the, um, the righteous or the non-sinner condemning the sinner. Actually, it's not. It's the non-court condemning the court. Which is not how the kingdom works. Whether you're caught or whether you're not caught, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If anything, the woman was in a, in a better position than them because she knew it. She knew her position. Her head was hung in shame. If you'd have asked her what her identity was at that moment, she would have said, I am guilty. I am deserving of punishment. I'm caught red-handed. I'm guilty. Even once the accusation, even once the accusers had gone, and she's left there with Jesus, I don't know that she felt that much better at this point because Jesus is still there, and in fact, he's the only one who could have cast the first stone. He's the only one, and so still at this moment, she's still there in darkness, not really sure where this is going to go. But Jesus is about to change her world. She's about to encounter the light of the world. And everything is going to change for her. So next we read that Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, where are they? Almost as if he's surprised. Oh, they're gone. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I would say this is one of the most important texts in the whole of the Bible. If we can grasp this text, our lives will change dramatically. First of all, let me just take away the word then, where it says, then neither do I condemn you. It shouldn't be there. It's not there in the original. And it, he doesn't say, I don't condemn you because they don't. She doesn't get off on a technicality. That's not how this works. Oh, they haven't condemned you. In that case, you're free to go. Um, no, no, no. Um, he says, I, I don't condemn you which is the most important thing. And he's really the only one who could say, the accusers don't condemn her because they don't have a leg to stand on. Jesus doesn't condemn her because he chooses to not condemn her. And he knows that in just a few days' time, this sin that she's committed is actually just going to be laid on him. He's going to bear the weight of this particular sin on his shoulders when he takes it all to the cross. Every sin, including this one. He's the only one that has the right to say, I don't condemn you. But he doesn't just say, I don't condemn you. That's brilliant. We love the fact that there's grace. Because Jesus is full of grace. We just sang it. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. That's what Jesus is doing for this woman right now. Taking her place. He's bearing her cross. So, But he doesn't just say, I don't condemn you. He says then... Go now and leave your life of sin. 
So he's saying, I don't condemn you, not because you don't deserve it. You do deserve it. You messed up. But you don't have to face the punishment. This is the good news. Um, Jesus is the light of the world. He's the bringer of, of this good news. And when we come to him in genuine repentance, this is all of us, he chooses to not condemn us for our mistakes. Uh, about three or four years ago, we had an Easter Sunday service here in the church, and I think I'd been leading worship that morning. And the service had gone on a bit later than it normally would. And I was due at my mother-in-law's for Easter Sunday dinner. And the rest of my family had already gone, uh, but I'd been held up at church talking to somebody, and I'd oh, better get there quick, because I knew I'm late, I'm due there ten minutes ago. So I jumped on my motorbike, I used to have a motorbike, and I raced up Romney Common as fast as I could, um, breaking the speed limit, and kind of weaving in and out of the traffic, uh, not really paying any attention to any of the cars that I was passing, and then I got to the roundabout by the Toby Carberry, and suddenly I hear that dreaded sound, the police siren behind me going off, and telling me to pull over. I was like, oh, whoa. So I got onto, I pulled over, and they told me to get off my bike and come and sit in the back of their car. Oh, no. <laughs> this is terrible. And I sat there. They asked that question that they always ask. Do you know how fast you were going? <laughs> and I kind of did, but I didn't want to admit it, obviously. I wanted to, yes, 31 or 32, perhaps. Um, just slightly above the speed limit. No, I didn't say that. I said, yes, I was going too fast. I was breaking the law. I'm really sorry. I'm an idiot. That's what I said. I said, I'm an idiot. And, and they looked at me and kind of agreed with me. Uh, <laughs> and then they showed me, uh, just on their dashboard, they had this screen with a video. And they showed me a video of me driving on my motorbike and showing the speed that I've been going. And I was like, oh, good grief, you know, I'm looking at it. Actually, I'm looking at this thing thinking, that is so cool. <laughs> what a cool piece of kit. I like that in my car. Um, video, and, and you can share my speed and everything. I didn't say that. Obviously, I was uh, not that uh, daft. I said, yeah, I'm really sorry. And I said again, I'm an idiot. I shouldn't have done it. I'm really sorry. I was late for, for my mother-in-law's dinner. I'm really sorry. No excuse. I did wrong. And then they said, okay, don't worry. You can go. Just go and sin no more. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, you can go, but slow down. Now, obviously, this wasn't as big a deal as this woman caught in adultery. But for me, I was in the same position. I was guilty. I was as guilty as anything. They had all the evidence they needed. I'd messed up. They could have given me a fine. They could have given me points. They could have made me walk everywhere. They could have done whatever they wanted. Hands up. You got me. But they chose to have mercy. Bless the Bromley police. <laughs> and this is what Jesus did for this woman. She was there. Yes, I'm guilty. You've got all the evidence you need. And he's going, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. You can go. But when you go, go and sin no more. Go and leave this life of sin, some translations say. Go and change. Go and change direction. This direction you've been walking in, just turn around and go in the other direction. And walk in the light that I'm giving you. Jesus is full of grace and he's full of truth. He's not just grace. That would be great. But he obviously needs to give us truth as well because we need to change. 
Yeah. We need to live a different life. Yeah. It's not just all about not being condemned. It's all about now changing the way we live and walking differently. Can we just have the band up? Let's go one final scripture I want to give you. Uh, truth is, Jesus is the light of the world. But there's another truth that goes hand in hand with this. A statement that Jesus makes in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, which is this, talking to us. I think I'm at liberty to say he's talking to us here. And he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You've seen these, these printed Gospels that we have. We've been looking at them. Maybe this makes a little bit more sense now, because on the front, it says, I am, because we know that Jesus is the light of the world. But on the back, it says, are you? Because the truth is, he is the light of the world, and we're called also to be the light of the world. When we start to follow him, when we come to him, let our good deeds go before us, show who we are. We are the light of the world. And it's the only one of these I am statements that Jesus applies both to himself and to us as well. But we have to choose to walk in the light. He gives us, when we come to him in repentance, he gives us, he gives us forgiveness. But then we have to make a choice to go and walk in that light. Because we don't just want to be, to, to see the light. We don't just want to accept the light. We need to be the light. We need to bring the light into our situations, into our work, into our family, into the community where we are. We need to be the light that Jesus was in those places. So I just want to finish with three pretty simple questions. First question, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know Jesus as the light of the world? Do you know that he wants to be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path? He wants you to not walk in darkness. He doesn't want you stumbling your way through life. He wants you to walk with clarity and understanding, knowing his world. First question, do you know who Jesus is? Second question, do you know who you are? Because you know who Jesus is, this should enable us to know who we are, that we are the light of the world. We have the power in us to be that same light, to bring that same light that he did to those situations, to people lost in darkness. We can bring a light that transforms them. Do you know who you are? Are you living that way? Finally, do you know what Jesus wants for you? Understanding who he is, understanding who you are, do you know your God-given purpose? and the light that you're supposed to bring to those around you. We're going to sing again now, and then we're just going to have a response. So let's all stand together as Sophia leads us in our song.